Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be mercy and grace. Let's begin in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in the 7th verse, it says, Again, he limited for a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. At the end of this chapter, we find mercy and grace. These are two of the most fundamental aspects of our faith. It's very common nowadays to hear mercy and grace spoken of together, as if they were interchangeable, or we constantly hear of grace without hearing of mercy. It's good that these things are being spoken of, but it's important that they're being articulated correctly. Otherwise, it can sometimes be misleading. We become so familiar with these terms that it becomes easy to talk about them without really understanding what they actually mean. Since mercy and grace are so fundamental to our walk of faith, we need to look at what exactly they mean, how they differ, how they're connected, and what they mean for us today. Noah Webster defined mercy as that benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves the disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. Basically, mercy means not getting what we deserve. For us as the people of God, mercy on a practical level means that although we'll face death in the natural, we're not going to have to die the spiritual death that we deserve, and we're not going to have to go to hell where we deserve to go. 
The reason we're faced with these penalties is because of our sin. If we continue to sin and live in sin with no intervention from God and nothing changed, we would all rightfully face the punishment that the law requires. But God did intervene, and now mercy is available to those who will take it. Numbers 14 and 18 says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. The Lord's forgiveness of us is how he exhibits his mercy towards us. It's out of his love, his benevolence, and his tenderness of heart that he overlooks our offenses against him and that he treats us better than we deserve to be treated. Hell wasn't designed for us, and in humanity's original perfect state, we weren't designed to die. These are both products of the fall and of our sin. The Lord knows this, which is why he offers us mercy. When the Lord has given us mercy and we face natural death, the effects of sin and the fall on us, the very reason we needed mercy in the first place, are reversed, and the Lord restores us to be in the state that he designed us to be in. Not only with mercy do we not get what we deserve, we don't even deserve to receive mercy itself. Genesis 32 and 1 tells us, I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies. We're not worthy of mercy. There's no price that can obtain mercy. It can't be bought or sold. It can't be earned, no matter how many good works we do. It can't be passed down or inherited. It's the free gift of God that he gives to his people out of his love for us. It's important that we understand this so that we appreciate and cherish the mercy that we've been given. And this appreciation should drive us to want to understand mercy better as we grow with the Lord. The scriptures reveal even deeper truths about what mercy actually is. The second half of verse 16 told us that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word for mercy in the Greek means mercy, pity, compassion. The concordance goes on further to say that it means covenant loyalty, covenant love, properly mercy, as is defined by loyalty to God's covenant. This word appears in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, over 170 times. This reveals a lot to us about mercy. We serve a covenant-minded God. He will never ignore or renege on a covenant that he made. If we've broken the laws according to the covenant, we need to face the prescribed penalty, unless there is a scapegoat without blemish to take our place so that our sins and their punishment can be imputed on that scapegoat instead. In the Old Testament, the scapegoat took the form of the sacrifice of an unblemished animal. In the New Testament, we find something very different. Here we find the sacrifice of a man, but not just any man, the God-man. We find that God himself became the scapegoat on our behalf. He took our sins upon himself. He died the death that we should have died in order to pay the price that we couldn't pay. This not only shows his loyalty to the covenant and his love for the covenant, it also shows his loyalty to us and his love for us. He is not only covenant-minded, we're also on his mind. He takes thought for us. In fact, we're the apple of his eye. Christ's death on the cross was the greatest demonstration of mercy that the world has ever seen. We need mercy. We can't go without it. Otherwise, we're faced with eternal death and hell. Next, we need to look at grace. 
Noah Webster defined grace as the free unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all the benefits men receive from him. Both love and favor are unmerited, which means that they're not given to us based on merit or performance. They're not earned or achieved. And like mercy, they're not deserved. They're freely given to us by God, despite all the sins that we've committed and the wrong that we've done against God. He not only looks past these things, he treats them like they never happened. This is when we start to see more clearly the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve while grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy says that we don't have to go to hell, while grace says not only do you not have to go to hell, but we can also now go to heaven. Grace goes beyond mercy, but they're both connected in that they're both undeserved and that they're both freely given. In verse 16, the word grace in the Greek means grace, kindness, as a gift or blessing brought to man by Jesus Christ, favor, gratitude, or thanks. The concordance goes on further to say that it means favor, disposed to, inclined, favorable towards, leaning towards to share benefit. It's preeminently used to the Lord's favor, freely extended to give himself away to people because he's always leaning towards them. It also goes on to say that grace answers directly to the Hebrew Old Testament term kenai, meaning grace, extension toward. Both refer to God freely extending himself his favor, his grace, reaching, inclining to people because he is disposed to bless and to be near them. This shows us more clearly what grace actually is. When we experience grace, God is giving himself away to us. He's giving to us what's in him, his character, his attributes, his word, and his actions on our behalf so that they can be a blessing in our life. The Lord is leaning towards us, The same way that we desire to lean on him, he leans towards us. When we lean on or towards someone, it's because we want to be closer to that person. God leans towards us because he wants to be close to you. We're the apple of his eye. He wants to be a part of your life. This, in many ways, is the greatest manifestation of grace. Just God showing us mercy through forgiving us for our sins would have been more than enough on its own. But he doesn't just do this. He then wants to come into our lives, reside within us, give all of himself towards us, extend himself towards us, and lean towards us. This is what we don't deserve from him, but he does it anyway. He's extending himself because he's going beyond what should happen to us. This is the characteristic of him. Ephesians 3 and 20 tells us, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. This is who our God is, and this is why he gives us grace. He extends himself and gives of himself to us because he wants to see us blessed. He wants to see us happy, and he wants to see us free. In order to enjoy the freedom that only he can give, we need to accept his free gift of grace. Verse 16 said, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's important that we notice that there's a difference between how we get mercy and how we get grace. There's a reason that the Lord makes this distinction. First, let's look at mercy. Where to obtain mercy? In many other versions of the Bible, it's translated as receive. In the Greek, 
It's defined as to take, receive, get. The concordance says that it means to actively lay hold of, to take or receive, to lay hold by aggressively and actively accepting what is available and offered, to accept with initiative. It emphasizes the volition and the assertiveness of the receiver. When it speaks of aggressively accepting, it's not referring to doing so with anger. It means accepting energetically and with passion. Getting mercy requires us to act. We have to see what the Lord is offering us, and we have to take it and lay hold of it, which means never letting go and never allowing anyone or anything else to hold us back, which means that we have to be assertive, which doesn't mean being rude. It means having our mind made up that we want mercy and refusing to leave without what we came for. We take it and receive it when we ask the Lord for forgiveness and invite him into our heart. This is how we make our will and our desire known and take the initiative to obtain mercy. Next, let's look at grace. Verse 16 said that we'll find grace. Finding is different than obtaining, although the end result should be the same. The real difference is in the process that gets us to that end result. The word used for find means to find, learn, discover, especially after searching. Grace is not something that we experience one time. It's something that we experience continually, day to day, throughout our lives. And it's something that we'll experience forever, throughout all of eternity. Since this is the case, it's important to note that all of the different parts of this definition are things that are continual. They're each a process, all their own. None of them are just a one-time event. Learning, discovering, and searching all take time. But we're still left with the question, how exactly do we find grace? When searching for anything, it's best to start at its source, and it's no different when it comes to grace. The source of grace is the God who freely gives it. When we take the time and put forth the effort to learn from and discover and search out God and the things of God, we will find grace. God has promised us this in his word. Matthew 6 and 33 tells us, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All things means all things, including grace. But we first have to seek. This same verse in the Amplified Bible reads, But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. The more we know and recognize God, the more we know and recognize His grace when we see it manifest in our lives. We'll learn what it is and how it works. We'll discover the beauty of grace and we'll realize that what we've been searching for the whole time was never really grace itself, but the God who is Himself, the personification of grace. The amazing thing about grace is that like God, it's inexhaustible. There's always more to search for, always more to find more to learn, and more to discover. And the more we aim at finding it and strive after it, God will give it, because we're promised that those who seek will find. James 4 and 6 tells us, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. John 1 and 16 in the English Standard Version tells us, For from his fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. The more we find grace, the more we want to find more of it. And it's this fact alone 
that makes grace irresistible to us. When we're learning it, understanding it, and knowing it, we'll fall in love with it. It's so far beyond what we deserve. It's so far beyond what we can fathom in the natural. We can't help but desire it more and more. Since grace is a part of who God is, the more we fall in love with grace, the more we'll fall in love with God, which in many ways is the fundamental purpose of grace. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in the third verse, it says, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man would think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Verse 9 said, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. His grace is sufficient for us, because it's inexhaustible, and because it's part of who he is. But we need to ask ourselves, how and why exactly does it suffice? The first thing that we need to do is take a closer look at the two main elements that Paul compares here, which are weakness and strength. The concordance says for the word used here for weakness, it refers to an ailment that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do. There's a spiritual ailment that we all face, the ailment of sin, the ailment of the fall of man. Sin keeps us back from enjoying the fullness of God, and it keeps us back from accomplishing his will in our life. But the Lord intervened, and he changed the story. Romans 6 and 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. The Lord uses his grace to turn our weakness into strength, because it's his strength that he manifests through us, as he uses us as a vessel, which is clear in the word used for strength. It's the Greek word dunamis, which means miraculous power, might, strength, physical power, force, might, ability, efficacy, energy, meaning powerful deeds, deeds showing physical power, marvelous work. This is the same word from which we get our English word dynamite. The concordance goes further to say that it means ability to perform for the believer, power to achieve by applying the Lord's inherent abilities, power through God's ability. It is needed in every scene of life to really grow in sanctification and prepare for heaven and glorification. It's a very important term used 120 times in the New Testament. This reveals to us that the Lord uses his grace 
as a conduit to transfer the power, strength, and ability that is in him through us so that what is in him can manifest to those around us. Earlier, we saw that grace was freely extended so that God can give himself away to people. He extends his love, his joy, hope, peace, power, strength, patience, and all of his other attributes through us as he gives all of himself to us. By his grace, he pours of himself into our lives as it overflows from us into the lives of those around us. 2 Timothy 1 and 2 in the English Standard Version says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Titus 2 and 11 in the ESV tells us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. In order for something to be by something or to bring something, there must be a transfer or a transition, and the Lord uses grace as a vehicle to transfer what is in Him through us. If we're looking for the grace that God gives, we're not going to find it outside of ourselves. We'll find it within us because God is within us. The second half of verse 9 says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In the NSAB version, rest upon me translates as may dwell in me. The power of God dwells in us because God dwells in us, and his power is a part of who he is as God. It's inseparable from him, and so is his grace. His grace is what brings his power from within our spirit out to the surface. Outwardly, it appears that we're using our own power and our own ability or operating in our own strength. But this really isn't the case at all. It's a manifestation of God's grace through us. 1 Corinthians 15 and 10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed on me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. We've all obtained mercy, and we're all continually, day to day, finding grace. We're blessed that God stepped in as a scapegoat on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to face spiritual death and hell. And we're blessed that not only has he forgiven us, he's freed us from the bondage of sin and given us eternal life. Now he supplies all that we need through his grace. We can never allow ourselves to take for granted what we've been given. We need to make the choice today to cherish and appreciate the mercy and grace that we've been given as we continue to find more each day. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 tells us, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we thank you for your mercy and we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you didn't leave us on that road of sin that leads to death and to hell, but that you became the perfect scapegoat without blemish and without sin, and that you took our sins upon yourself, doing that which you never had to do, but that you did it for us, that you lived the life that we couldn't live, that you paid the price that we couldn't pay. And Lord, we thank you that you were mindful of us and that you did this on our behalf. And Lord, we thank you that you don't give us the punishment that we deserve and that you go beyond, that you do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think and that you give us what we don't deserve, that you come into our life, that you become a part of who we are and that we become a part of you. 
Lord, we thank you that you lean towards us and extend all of yourself towards us. And we thank you that one day, when we finish with this journey of life, that we'll get to be with you in paradise, in your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for all these great things that you've given us. We thank you that you're leaning towards us and extending yourself through us. And we thank you that that grace that you have given us is the conduit to transfer what is in you through us to those around us. And Lord, open up their eyes and their ears so that they see that what we have is something that they need and let them know that they can only find it in you. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you're doing right now, and all of the great things that you have in store for us as your people. And we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to experience mercy and grace and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.